Welcome back to another episode of Next Level Minds. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Today's topic is going to be all across the board, talking about various adversities, entrepreneurship, and the CBD and hemp industry. I'm blessed to be sitting down with the CEO of Biolab Global, Paul Columbus, and Paul's really going to walk you through an interesting story of how he overcame a ton of failures, such as drug addiction, but turned that around to be a successful business owner that he is today. And this episode is really going to be packed with a ton of action. I wanted to personally thank each and every one of you for tuning in to today's episode of Next Level Minds. Paul, wanted to uh, just personally thank you for uh, coming out here, being a guest on the show. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah, for sure. So based on that brief introduction I gave, I know you're the master of your own industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, what do you want the listeners out there to know about you before we get started? Um, I'm 22 years old. I am currently the CEO of Biolab Global. It is a holding company of two other CBD companies. One of them is a distribution company for hemp flour. We primarily focus on that. And then the other one is actually called Biolab Ag. It is a genetic research and development company for different CBD strains that we are working on. So we got some really cool stuff that's going on with that too. Mm, mm. Sounds like you're very involved in both of them, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. So going back, where did you grow up and and how did you kind of get into where you are now? I know you've gone through all across the board of various Mm -hmm. situations. Yeah, so I'm originally from Wilmington, North Carolina. Now I live in Charlotte. Um, I grew up down there, you know, pretty normal childhood, nothing crazy. And then about the age of 14, 15, I started experimenting, you know, with marijuana and drinking and different stuff like that. And then from there, it kind of escalated to uh, drug use, cocaine, Xanax, Oxycontin, stuff like that. Eventually, my parents sent me away to a boarding school type thing and to try to help me. But, you know, you can never force somebody to change. It has to, you know, change has to come from within. So it, it just made it things worse, and I got out of there, and, you know, 18 years old now, um, doing my thing, still doing drugs, and now I get into selling drugs and living that lifestyle. Eventually, I move out to California, um, was out there, you know, with the whole marijuana movement last, like, five years, uh, about five years ago. And, uh, you know, my drug addiction just got worse because now I'm, I'm selling drugs and I'm making a lot of money, you know, for an 18, 19-year-old kid. And so I can do whatever I want. You know, we're doing partying all the time, doing drugs, just getting out of control. Uh, I don't really like to get too much into it, just, uh, you know, statute of limitations and stuff like that. But um, from there, you know, I, I moved back to Wilmington and I got arrested, actually. I um, got arrested with uh, a bunch of cocaine and Xanax and uh, marijuana wax, like the concentrates, the oils. Um, You know, I was looking at going to prison with uh, my charges I had and different stuff, and I went through a long court process, and uh, I got some good attorneys and some good help on my side. But, you know, while that long process was going on, you know, I actually checked myself into rehab by myself on my own. And, um, you know, I started to experience change because I realized – you know, like I was always able to get by with the system. You know, the system's pretty messed up because, you know, here's a, you know, 
a white, you know, people would call it privileged kid. Mm. Um, you know, but they really wanted to throw the book at me and they really tried to screw me. So I had to pay a lot of money in attorney fees. But when you, when you think about it, um, you know, I really did change. And that's why the court was a little bit easier on me because my attorney was able to extend my case a little bit longer. Um, so that way I was able to show the court that I was doing well with my life. And, you know, change started within. I went to rehab. I started looking at my life and I realized I didn't want to continue this pattern of drug addiction, drug selling, and ending up in jail because everybody gets caught. You know, mm-hmm. there's probably 4% of people Five percent of people, if you're really um, dealing drugs heavy, that don't get caught and get away from it, but you're gonna get caught. You're gonna get caught up in it, and it's just not worth it. And from there, I was able to uh, get a lot of positive influences in my life through uh, my church back home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really unique how it worked out because there's a guy down there. Re- literally, right after I got arrested and out of rehab, he became the uh, college minister at my church, mm-hmm. and you know we hit it off big. He was a really big uh, influence in my life. He, uh, he really helped me through that time and, you know, just was a really positive role model for me. And, you know, a lot of people just praying for me and different stuff like that. And I was able to overcome addiction. And I've probably been clean now off, uh, you know, cocaine. I was really addicted to cocaine and Xanax. Those were my two primary drugs of choice um, since May of 2017 now. So, and uh, eventually... You know, got through my court stuff, and uh, I moved to Charlotte. I was actually going to work for another job, um, doing some sales and stuff. I really love sales, mm. and I, I was working with my dad for a while. He has an audiovisual company, doing sales for him, being the head sales rep there. And I moved to Charlotte. Was going to work another job doing sales, and then one day, um, my uh, friend I've known for a long time, Austin Diggs. He's also my business partner now. Mm. He's uh, he's the vice president of our company. Him and I. Because uh, he lived in Charlotte, too. He was working at PNC, and him and I, you know, we were catching up. We got lunch one day, and we were just talking about, you know, like day trading and ways to make extra money and different stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, you know, we're young. We're thinking of entrepreneurial things. We're both very entrepreneurial mindset. Right. And then we kind of – this was back in uh, November of last year, mm. and we had seen the CBD thing kind of starting to take off. And it wasn't to the point where it is today, where it's like everybody knows what it is. It's like talked about all the time. It was still kind of like people were figuring out and starting to hear about it. So we were talking and we were like, you know, we were like, we should look into this, you know? Mm. We should look into this. And I was like, okay. You know, so I I got home and uh, over the next like week or two, you know, I started doing a lot of research, looking at different things, looking at the whole process of like CBD oil, you know, coming from a marijuana background. I knew, you know, how it's grown, you know, how you extract oils, everything like that. So, you know, CBD is not very much different because a lot of hemp strains are actually marijuana strains that have just been bred down Mm. to have, you know, less than 0.3% THC, which is the new federal law and regulation that uh, President Trump signed in December of 2018. Mm. So from there, um, you know, I figured it out. I figured out what had to be done, and I know I started... Looking at, you know, we're like, okay, we put our money together. We were like, all right, let's see what we can do. What's our business strategy here? And we didn't really have, like, um, a major business strategy. We were kind of like, like, we were looking at all the, like, the biggest thing that we saw was the CBD oil you go in the store and buy. Mm. It was, like, so expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I was seeing the prices that people were charging 
versus the pricing that it actually costs to make. Mm. And I'll just give you, I'll just be give you straight up what what how much it costs. If you were like a low level guy like us at the beginning, you know, let's just say the 500 milligram full spectrum. You know, full spectrum means that it has the full cannabinoid profile because there's mm. isolate, full spectrum, and broad spectrum. Full spectrum has like you know anywhere from six, seven, eight to 15 cannabinoids, including CBD, CBA, CBG, like all those cannabinoids. We can get into that later. But um, the, the isolate is what everyone does, the THC-free CBD oil, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have any other cannabinoids except CBD, which is great. People love CBD, but in my opinion, I think full spectrum is better because you get a full cannabinoid profile. But the thing with the isolate is for people that have to take drug tests and different stuff like mm-hmm. that, like government employees and stuff like that. Um, so for the full spectrum oil, a 500 milligram bottle, which is, uh, I would say like a lower dosage, you know, the 500 to thousand are probably the most popular people buy, but the 500, I think, you know, our cost out the door was like three bucks a bottle wow. packaged everything. And then you go to the store and you see 500 milligrams for sale. It was like 50 bucks, 60 bucks. Mm. And I was like, we were like, what? That's crazy. Like people are making that much of a markup because it was kind of like a craze. So we were like, all right, here's our business strategy. We're gonna set up a membership program to where people buy annual memberships for $100 a year, and you get way cheaper CBD pricing on our oils, which we know we're good. And people, I don't, we don't really sell oils anymore. We just do the flower now, but people still call me every day. Not every day, but like, I get a couple calls a week from some customers that want small stuff. They're like, you're the best oils we've ever had, you know, because we didn't cut our stuff or anything like that, and it was real terpy and everything, and people are always still looking for it from me. But we did that membership program, and, um, you know, it did well. I literally, we uh, made our bunch of batches of oil, bottled it ourselves, packaged it ourselves, everything like that, and from there, we basically just hustled every day. I mean, Austin had a job at the time, and then I was still looking at doing this sales job, but it didn't start yet. So I was just kind of doing this full time and managing everything. And then it started taking off and we started making money. And I would literally, I remember like in January, February, I would literally just sit on my phone and like just DM people all the time mm. on the business page. Like, yeah. like to where like Instagram, Gary V talks about this, like to where you get blocked, you know? And mm. I was like, I would literally do that. I would literally, I tell people to this people all the time too. Like when people are like, how can we grow our business? What can we do? I'm like, literally just like hit people up obnoxiously amount. How many people did you uh, DM on Instagram today? You know, like, let's say you DM 100 people. Even if one or two responds or you get a sale off DMing 500 people, it's worth it. Right. You know, but then it's also in the back of their minds. Like, imagine the people that don't respond or um, buy anything. It's in the back of their minds now. They might have clicked your page, be like, oh, CBD. Okay, cool. Mm. And, you know, maybe they go through their life and then they think of CBD again and they're like, oh, yeah, this company messaged me. Like, mm. he messaged me, oh, you can get cheaper pricing, good quality, we'll give you free samples. You know, so you just plant seeds in their mind. And so you just, I just kept doing that. Made a lot of connections through Instagram, actually, like, surprisingly. And actually now we actually grow. We have an indoor grow. Mm. Um, we, we produce high-quality CBD uh, flower. And um, one, my head grower, I actually met, met him on Instagram. Wow. So it's pretty crazy. Uh, so I met a lot of cool people just doing that on Instagram. And so it just progressed and progressed. And, like, 
you know, the, it was really hard to, you know, get smaller sales. It was kind of like tedious. It's like, all right, you know, it's kind of like sitting on your computer, like, am I going to get sales? Like starting a new business. So then I looked into doing more wholesale stuff. Mm. And then I just started hustling the wholesale stuff too. And we had our website and everything. And then eventually all my, the people I was running into wholesale would always ask for the hemp flower. Um, the hemp flower now is, it looks like, it looks just like marijuana. But it doesn't have any THC in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it has that less than 0.3% or whatever THC, and it's just full of uh, CBD. So then that was really where it was like where we really took off is when I started messing around with that and, you know, putting a lot of money into that. And then we just, you know, we realized, okay, we need more capital in order to do larger deals with this because everybody wanted it. It's like one of those things that you got to put a lot of money into it and you can get like a nice 10 to 20% return from it, Mm. but it's going to sell fast like that because everybody wants it. And so we went and got a loan. We had, you know, we had some capital built up um, and we had tons of oil still. So we had, you know, like what I guess you could call equity or not equity, but like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Collateral. Um. So we had like, you know, 80 grand worth of oil as collateral, you know, had like 25 grand cash, you know, in the bank. So, you know, we had something to where we went and tried to try to start looking for to get a loan to like Mm. um, try to, you know, increase stuff. And my business partner's dad and his partner, they actually have a holding company that they, you know, do investments. They're kind of like Shark Tank. You know, they look for things to make that want to make cash. So, um we went to his dad, and he was like, he was all for it, his dad was, but his partner was very, very skeptical. Right. He was like, I don't know, he was like very worried. But they gave us a loan. They're like, all right, let's try it. They gave us a loan, and we repaid them in 20 days. They were expecting a 90-day wow. repayment. We repaid them in 20 days with 10% interest, and we made a bunch of our own capital from it to where we could operate. Um, Cause I was like, I was like, we were like, we we're we're gonna prove to you guys, we're gonna be like, we're gonna prove to you guys. So we did, and from there, they were very interested in the industry now. So from there, you know, we kept doing our thing, grinding, uh, just doing the flower sales for a minute, and then finally, we put together another proposal for them. To um, so there's like you know different grades of the flower. There's outdoor, what you know you think about you know marijuana, same thing. There's outdoor, greenhouse, indoor. So right now with the CBD flower, over in Europe, they've been doing it a lot longer. So they have way better quality over in Europe. And it's a lot more greenhouse and indoor. No, they don't really smoke the outdoor. But here, everyone does the outdoor. And I see the wave coming with the indoor. Mm. So we put together a proposal to do a massive indoor grow. So it took us, you know, a little bit to get it all together and figure out all the costs and everything. So we presented it to them. And... They liked it, so they're like, all right, let's do it. So we started looking for the facility and everything. And it took a little while to uh, find exactly what where we wanted to do it and everything. But then as we kept doing our distribution side of the thing, solution side of the thing, it kept growing and growing. So they wanted to get part of that as well. Mm. So we were like, so then basically after, you know, some discussion and everything, um, we partnered up with them now, and we uh, formed one holding company, Biolab Global. I'm 50% owner, them them as the investors. Well, we also had our own capital that we contributed to it. 
that we made. So we put all of our money that we made back into the holding company, and then they put uh, some money in there, and we also have more money we can pull from and everything like that. So we made the holding company that operates our two companies now, um, which is Solution and Biolab Ag, and they flow up to our new company. And that's just kind of what we're doing right now. It's harvest season. We're grinding right now. Super busy. Mm. I probably slept like since Monday night. I probably slept like 25 hours this week. Wow. You know, we've been grinding. We're going hard right now. Yeah. So we have a lot of cool things going on. That's kind of just basically in a nutshell mm-hmm. of what's going on. Yeah. What I really like is when you first started up until now, you've constantly been pivoting. You've constantly been mm-hmm. adding new additions to your business, taking some things away. And another key point, what I really liked is when you first originally, you know, hey, Austin, let's launch this business, you immediately thought of, hey, what's a differentiator that we can have? Because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of um, entrepreneurs want to start a business, but they really don't come up with a good differentiator. And mm-hmm. it's, oh, okay, you just have the same product or same service as the next guy. Yep. Um, and also, I know I've been on a few meetings with you, and you're, you know, you seem as if, at least on those meetings, you're very respected in the industry, uh-huh. um, which is another huge asset uh-huh. too. I think to being a business owner. Yeah, a lot of people now know who I am. Yeah, I, I would honestly say that we are probably the largest flower distributor in North Carolina. Mm. Um, not, I don't think maybe the Southeast. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, we have a lot of stuff. So with the outdoor crop, going back to that, you know, it's planted between the months of May and July and then harvested between the months of end of August until the beginning of November. So right now we're in harvest season. It's full force right now. We have a lot of contracts lined up with some mega farms. Actually, we have today's Sunday on Tuesday, a mega farm from Kentucky is coming down and we're signing a deal for 200,000 pounds of smokable flour. Um, So we, my goal from now until July 1st is to sell a million pounds of flour. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. I have it written in my bathroom on on the uh, wall there. Um, so we, I want to be the largest distributor on the East Coast by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And then we flip to the Biolab Ag side. That's our growing side where we're doing the high-quality indoor flower. We're making new hemp strains. We're cross-breeding stuff. And we're going to next year ramp up the Biolab Ag to where we do, we sell clones for farmers. Well, basically what we're going to do is we're making these new strains now. We're going to have them available to the public in March they can start making orders for clones. And now clones are, uh, you cut them from a mother plant. That So you grow the mother plant, you don't flower it out, you put it on a different light cycle than the bud you flower out, like indoor. Um, and you can clip clones from them, and you put them in other cubes to where you can sell them to people and they can grow it themselves. So we're going to, my goal for next year is to do 10 million uh, clones, sell 10 million clones. Mm. Um, so we're basically initiating a buyback program so we can continue our distribution side from our Biolab Ag side to where they buy the clones from us on Biolab Ag. We enter into an agreement with them to where now we coach these farmers because a lot of these farmers are old tobacco farmers, um, you know, corn farmers, stuff like that. So they never they think, oh, we can just grow cannabis. There, it, it, there's a lot of crappy product that's being grown right now. So we're trying to, okay, you buy our clones from us. It's superior genetics. It's genetics nobody has on the market. We get exclusive rights with you guys. You guys grow it. I have a team of growers. that I have four growers on my team right now. Combined, they have 130 years of cannabis growing experience. So we know what we're doing. Mm. And so we're going to coach these guys next year. They're going to buy our clones. We're going to coach them. And then we're going to buy all the product back from them. 
and distribute it. Mm. So we can basically build our own army. Right. So. Right. So going back, let me ask this. Obviously, you know, you're a very successful business owner. Mm-hmm. You have the uh, the four growers. You have a whole team. You're building an army. When you were going through the, the drug addiction at the time, did you think in the back of your head, like, I'm going to be a business owner one day? Or how did you kind of just make that switch? Dude, I had no, you know, I didn't go to college or anything. I was making fast money. I was, you know, selling drugs. I was doing other things. I was flipping cars. I'd go to auctions. I was doing, you know, I was very entrepreneurial, mm. but it was in a negative way instead of a positive way. And I don't know. I never thought I was going to own a business. Yeah. I, literally, I thought I was, I was going to sell drugs forever. I was, right. That's literally what I thought to myself. I was like, I was like, I just want to make like $2 million. Right. And then I'm just going to chill and just do my thing. Yeah. That's yeah. literally what I thought. I didn't have any direction. That was literally like what I thought in the back of my mind. Yeah. I was like, you know, give me a couple of years, like five, six years. I'll make $2 million. You know, no taxes, selling drugs. I had no direction. I didn't know what I was going to do, you know. So I got, you know, when I got arrested, you know, it pulled me back to reality, mm. you know. Mm. You know, when you're just at like a low point and you're like, oh, shit. What do I do? Like, right, you right. Know, your back's against the wall. You know, just a lot of things go through your mind. And, you know, when I went to rehab, you know, I didn't have a cell phone or anything like that. You know, we were out in the the uh, mountains. You know, so you, there's a lot of time to clear your head and start mm. thinking. And still then, I never thought I was going to be a business owner. I was just trying to think, what if I can reset my life and figure out what I'm going to do? I could probably end up having a good job in three years or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Do you think... With uh, adversities, failures, and especially drug addiction, do you think it takes a big stopping point of of a bad thing, like getting arrested, et cetera, happening to kind of make the switch, or do you think you can kind of just make that on your own? It, it's really hard to make it on your own. Um, people, places, and things, mm. um, that, that's what they tell you a lot who you're hanging around with, where you're hanging out, and like things you're doing. You know, this, like they talk about triggers. And those three things, people, places, and things, those are, all of those have triggers. So it's like, you, you got you to gotta get away from all those things, number one, and get new people, places, and things that are positive to get away from those triggers. And, you know, in terms of getting arrested and everything, for some people it works. For some people it takes them 10 times to get it right. Mm. Thankfully, it took me... You know, I still don't got it right. I still have a lot of things I struggle with. But, you know, it took me that one time to be like, oh, shit, I need to get it together. Right. You know, so it's – and for people that do do it on their own without having to get arrested, you know, kudos to them. That That's something that's just crazy. Like, it, it's – you know, I hear of it sometimes, but it's like a very rare thing, I feel like. Right. Mm-hmm. What are some steps that people could take just to start surrounding themselves with appropriate uh, people, places, and things, as you mentioned before? With that kind of question, it really depends on where they are at in their life. Mm. You know, if they're at a point of like super drug addiction, doing dope, doing super hard drugs, needing it every day, things like that, at that point, it's like you literally have to like throw your phone in the ocean and or get rid of your phone and just like just get away from everything. I don't know. It's I don't know how to answer that. It just depends what stage I guess you are in your life. So, yeah, yeah. So I definitely think that having appropriate people around you uh, do really make it uh, change your environment Mm -hmm. that you're in. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with me when I had a positive influence through that time in my life. That really helped a lot. 
So not everybody gets to be blessed with having that. Mm. So Definitely. I know some things I've done to, to just really change the people and the environment that I'm in is really take a hard look at, at you know, your day, kind of do a hard audit of your day-to-day, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that can really help. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was it like when you were first building your company, right? I know you mentioned you were on Instagram, DMing people back and forth, you know, 18-hour days. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, first, we didn't really do 18-hour days, but, I mean, we're still building. Um, I, I mean, this past week, I've done 18-hour days probably every day, and it never stops. But at the beginning, you know, you just kind of have to just keep going. And a lot of people, when they start businesses, they're going to they're gonna fail. Things aren't going to go right. You know, you because I feel like a lot of times people, they get an idea, and they're like, okay, well, if I can start a business, do all these things, make some good money, build some good connections, they think it's going to happen, like, quicker than it does. Sometimes it could take six months. Sometimes it could take a year. Sometimes it could take five years to, to get to the point in your head because everyone imagines – you always hear that stupid thing. It's like living my best life. I mm-hmm. hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. And – but – People think in their brains, all they you know in their mind, they're always like, "Where's my best life?" And people, with the entrepreneurial that's starting businesses, they always think at the beginning, like, "All right, they see themselves where they want to be," but it could, it takes a lot to get there. So at first, you just need to be able to take failure, be able to take critics, be able to take the haters, be able to take people that just have don't want anything to do with you that you reach out to and are trying to network with. You know, you just have to take it. Right. You know, you got to be able to take a lot of shit. So, mm. you know, if you're if you're a person that can't, you know, a lot of people are really soft in this right. world today. You know, that's the environment we are in. And if you're a person that gets easily offended, you're not going to be able to build a business. Right. You know, you cuz you got to take a lot of shit from people. Mm. So, that's one thing you got to be able to just keep going and yeah. you know, you'll get to the point if you're doing things correctly, you, eventually you'll get to the point where you're succeeding and just crushing it. Yeah. So. Yeah. What uh? What do you think some strategies are out there, um, just to have better patience when starting a business? Because I struggle with that all the time of mm-hmm. instant gratification. That's the culture that we live in. So, like, what are some strategies to have good patience with that? The best strategy I could say is like every day, if you're trying to build your business and you're trying to have patience to where it's like, okay, now we're booming. You got to be doing something every day to where you're going to be booming. So the best thing for patients would be like, just keep going hard every day, mm. you know? And if you get to a point where it's like, okay, I've been going hard every day for six months. I've truly been going hard. I haven't been half-assing it. I've been going hard for six months and I'm not seeing the results I want. At that point, maybe you should reach out to somebody. Maybe you should pay for some consulting. But not just everybody, people, everyone's a consultant nowadays. Everyone thinks they're a consultant. But you need to find the right people in your industry that are doing it right and go to them and say, here's what I've been doing. What have I been doing wrong? And maybe they can help you adjust your blueprint and stuff like that. But at first, you need to be going hard every day. Hmm. But if you're half-assing it, you know, it's don't, I want to need, if you're half-assing, I won't even do it. Yeah. You know, there's no point. Yeah. So. I know, I know you've pivoted a lot in your business, mm-hmm. um, adding different services, taking away certain products. Is there a certain timeline that business owners should pivot, or what are some like, things that come up that you realize you need to pivot oh, in your business? You, you need to pivot every day. I pivot yeah. every day. I wake up and think we're going to do one thing. Something goes wrong. All right, this is what we're going to do instead, and we get something done. 
that's going to build what we're building. So if you're if you're an entrepreneur, you, you you can have a game plan in your head of what a day is gonna gonna go like, but you got to be pivoting every day. It's not gonna it's not like okay, well let's try this strategy for a month or something like that, or let's let's try to pursue this option, and then you know you could be just waiting for weeks on end to do this option. In the meantime, all right, this is not working out. Whatever situation, I'll give you an example. Um, right now we're in harvest season. We're building our indoor grow. We're doing different stuff, and I'm getting these phone calls. Like I like two weeks ago, I would not have thought of doing this. Two weeks ago, I would have been like, no, because I, I thought about it before, and I was like, no, it's such a waste of time, energy. I'm not gonna bother with it. I'm getting these phone calls of these farmers, and they're like, hey, our hemp crop's done. What do we do? We don't know what to do. Going back to what I was saying earlier about. We got to coach some of these farmers. That's why we're trying to build this program to where we do a buyback program, coach them. Farmers that grew this year, they're like, we don't even know what to do with it. So I'm getting phone calls, phone calls. And finally, I'm like, all right. I woke up one day. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I literally thought this Tuesday night and I needed to be somewhere Wednesday. I had to have workers. So literally Tuesday night, I thought, okay, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a group of people. We're gonna go cut this field. I'm gonna buy it by the plant for super cheap. I'm gonna go buy it by the plant, buy six acres, go buy it by the plant, take it back to my facility, dry it, cure it, do all the work. So literally Tuesday night, I was like, I needed six workers by Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. I hit people up. I drove to Raleigh at two in the morning, picked up a group of six workers up there um, for some labor. Drove back, got them in the field, and just put them to work. Had a supervisor go out with them and start going ham. Mm. You got to be able to pivot every day because, like, that right there that was an opportunity to make a good profit. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And I put it on the fly like that. I was like, I'm not going to go to bed tonight. I'm going to drive to Raleigh at 2 a.m. make it happen. You got to be able to doing, be able to do whatever it takes mm. to be a successful business owner. You can't be like, I don't want to do that. It makes me feel uncomfortable. You have to be able to do whatever it takes. You know, right. So, right. What are some strategies that you take when you have to pivot like that, that kind of take away the stress? Because I, I try to pivot all the time in my day to day. And then sometimes the stress gets to me and mm -hmm. things start spiraling out of control. Right. So what are some strategies that you take to uh, conquer that stress? I would say to conquer that stress. Um, for me, it's really like when I'm getting super overwhelmed, super stressed, I like to just kind of the biggest thing is like, I feel like the phone makes me more stressed. You know, having my phone on me, like people calling me, mm. it's blowing up, like distractions on the phone. I like to just put it all down for a second, take maybe 10, 20 minutes, and just like, just sit in peace and quiet and just meditate. You know, that's my biggest thing for stress. Um, other uh, things I do, um, you know, call my girlfriend. Mm. Um, you know, that always helps too, mm -hmm. you know, cause she's always like, you're being dramatic, <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm like, all right, you're right. Yeah, I am just, so she's right. Um, so that helps me too. So I don't manage stress the best. I'll be honest. I'm a very, like, I get very overwhelmed. I'm like, I start getting in my head. I'm like, oh no, no, like, no, this, this could happen. This could happen. We need to do that. I don't know. So you just got to be able to just take a second you literally just take a second walk away from the situation put your phone away and just relax breathe that's that's the best advice i have i'm not the best handler of stress right to be honest with right you. i know something that i've recently done i'm all about morning routine and mm -hmm. i don't 
touch my phone. I get up around 5.30, but I don't touch my phone until 7.15. Mm-hmm. And throughout, you know, an hour and a half, two hours, it's no phone, no distractions, because everything at that time is in my control until I pick up my phone, start seeing the emails come in, mm-hmm. DMs come in, have to solve this fire, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I definitely agree with you on the uh, on the mm-hmm. no phone. Yeah, it's it's a major thing, especially in today's world. Mm. I feel like your phone makes you way more stressed. I literally don't think people could go like a whole forty eight hours without touching their phone. Mm. You know, so true. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. So I know you mentioned this earlier when you're building a business, reaching out to other guys in your prospective industry, of steps that you can take to grow and, you know, help pivot you in a different direction. Do you think that in order to build a business, you have to have a mentor? Is there any other ways that you, like, you don't have to have one? I don't think you have to have like a guy, you know, it's very, it's very helpful to have a guy you can call on your phone and be like, you know, what do I do about this? But you don't have to have one. All the answers are out there. You just got to find them. I think everybody needs to be listening to, for me at first, one thing with battling drug addiction, everything like that, I, I started listening to Grant Cardone a lot. Mm. He, I only listened to him. I didn't spend time literally listening to anybody else. I would only listen to him because I feel like when you listen to too many of these famous guys, like they pull you in different directions. You got to find one or one of those guys that you like and that line up with what you're trying to do and listen to them and listen to them and just keep doing what they suggest, read their books and different stuff like that. Because I think when you start to listen to too many people, you get pulled in too many different directions. Mm. And so I definitely encourage everybody to, you know, find a person like that at least. But in terms of like having a personal mentor, I don't think it's necessary. It helps for sure. And it really just depends what industry you're in, Mm. you know? So are you a big reader or are you more audio or kind of what's your way for that? Um, I'm definitely more audio. Right. I, I don't spend the time to sit down and read. Yeah. I don't like. I'd rather put it on my car. I drive a lot. Mm-hmm. I drive an absurd amount, so I definitely like to put it on in the car. Um, even when I'm just on my phone watching different videos, short videos. You know, I'm not much of a reader, but uh, you know. Right. Right. So let's walk through this. Uh, let's say the listeners out there, they have a business idea. They you know, they complete their, you know, uh, business model, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They come up with a differentiator. They're getting a little bit of traction in their company. Mm-hmm. What are some steps to really uh, acquire funding? I know that's a big hot topic right now. Funding. Who? I don't know. You, there's a lot of ways you can acquire funding. I mean, the best one would be to OPM other people's money mm. um and that starts with the bank mm-hmm. now it's it's not easy for a 22 year old kid to go to the bank and say i need fifty thousand dollars they're probably not going to give it to <laughs> right. you but one way is you could reach out to friends family put together a successful business idea um the only thing about that is you know you could burn some bridges in your life with friends and family um and then just, I would also say networking. Mm. I know in Charlotte, there's a lot of networking events. I, I was trying to go to the one with you the other night, but oh, yeah. I was just way too busy. I really wanted to go because I'm trying to go to more networking events. Um, and so I definitely, networking is one way I feel like people could definitely do that. Um, you know, just reaching out to other people. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, OPM, that's really big, other people's money. 
you know, let's say you are 22, 25, whatever business owner, and you got some good credit and you maybe got like a $50,000 credit limit, mm. I would burn through that credit card. Not not buying like stupid stuff for yourself, but buying stuff that's going to make you money. That's what I would say about that. Right. You know, not only spending that credit card on something that's going to make you money for your business. Mm, for sure. I know networking events. I've been going to a lot of those recently. And my old model of going to those, I say, oh, I need to get as many business cards as I can, as many contacts, and it would be kind of a, just a micro speed. Mm-hmm. But now when I go to them, I say, all right, I'm just going to get one thing productive out of this, and it's actually worked a lot better. So the mm-hmm. one I went to that that uh, you know you weren't able to attend, unfortunately, but um, I had a conversation with the guy. I said, hey, you know, my business partners and I are building this company. Um, we're kind of starting out our MVP for our app. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, okay. And he connected me to this one software developer who started an app around here. Um, now him and I are grabbing uh, some coffee or lunch in about a week and a half. And I'm like, that was a win. You know, I was there for an hour and a half, and I would have probably never met this guy mm-hmm. if I wasn't at the event. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a lot better than just trying to acquire, you know, 30 business cards. Cause- yeah, I feel like if you're like, you're not really focusing on... Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, if you're like, all right, I need to get as many business cards, you're not focusing your time on one person to where it's like, if you would have just got his business card, maybe you guys would have never got that conversation because it wouldn't have been that deep into a conversation, you know? Right, right. So what do you do? This has come up a lot on my end, some of my peers, and let's say you have some close family or even friends, you know, that are, uh, they just don't believe in your idea. They're like, why are you trying to build this business? Do you completely separate yourself from them, or how? What's kind of your strategy there? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, if it's like some close friends or family, and they're like, "Why? Why are you doing this? It's a waste of your time. You should be focusing on your nine to five. Mm. Blah blah blah." Nah, you, you gotta just. I mean, if it's like some family, I mean, you can't completely cut off your family, but you could maybe just limit yourself to them. You right. know, if they're gonna not support you. You don't need to have that in your life. If it's close friends that aren't family, I would cut them out. Mm. I'd be like, you don't believe in me? You don't believe what I'm trying to do? I would cut them out because that negativity is going to prevent you. You are what you put. Your, like If you're surrounding yourself with positivity and pouring that into your life, that's the result you're going to have. Right. If, you're, if negative people are holding you back, you're never... You could still get there, but it's gonna be like way harder to get there. It's gonna it's gonna make you feel like you're you're like trying to walk through mud, you know, instead of walking on cement. Mm. You know, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I completely uh, completely agree with that. So, what was one of your biggest, I guess, learning lessons? I know you've gone through a lot of them, but with just entrepreneurship and starting a business in general, the biggest learning lesson is how I treat people. Mm. Um, cause I can get really, I can be a real asshole to people. Um, and so that's something I've really been working on the past two months. So definitely just treating people right because you never know, even if you think they're like, oh, this person is irrelevant to me. They, you know, I've had customers, you know, I have, and especially in this industry, there's a lot of haters and shit. And I feel like. 75% of people like me and 25% of people hate me. It is what it is. And yeah, the biggest thing is just treating people better, you know, because you never know where that, even the biggest asshole customer or supplier, you know, just treat them good. Don't don't give it back to them. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of the model of the, the customer's always right or? 
the customer it is not always right right but you just you can make them feel like they're always right that's what you got to do just make them feel like you're always they're always right 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 for sure so where uh where can people find you learn more about you your business different uh things you're getting into right now so um i'm not really much of a social media guy i had a business account but we kind of dissolved it and i kind of use it as like a a collaboration page on instagram it's called not a broker because there's a lot of brokers like brokers are good for real estate and stuff like that but for the cbd industry brokers are horrible mm. um i i do not like brokers they mess up deals they're basically they're since the cbd and hemp industry is exploding they're just trying to ride coattails they actually they don't have capital to do things they literally just try to connect people and try to make their little chump change and they actually mess up deals so that's why I call my page not a broker. It's it's not underscore a underscore broker. You can find me on Instagram there. Um, we are setting up our new websites and everything like that for our new companies. I'm mm. not really involved in that. But again, our main holding company is Biolab Global, biolabglobal.com. Then we have Biolab Agricultural and Solution US. Mm. Okay. So great, great. So... Final advice, if you just had to, you know, put one word of of acquiring success, whether it's hustle, grit, trust, relationships, what would that be off the top of your head? Wit, whatever it takes. Mm, I like that. I like that a lot. Well, hey, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in to another episode of Next Level Minds. I know just summarizing some things Paul said is it, you know, really takes a lot of work and patience to start your business. It's not going to come overnight. Um, it also takes some hand-to-hand -hand combat. I mean, if you look at what Paul did of constantly sending DMs on Instagram, um, reaching out, acquiring deals, it also takes that as well of getting down in the trenches. Um, and lastly, you know, adversities are always out there. But again, just keep putting in the work, keep putting in a, a massive amount of patience, and you will get out of it. And also surround yourself with the appropriate people, places, and things is something that I really got out of this. Um, once again, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Next Level Minds. If you guys could please share this with a friend who you think needs to hear it, go ahead and subscribe on iTunes at Next Level Minds. Follow the uh, Instagram page, Next Level Minds Podcast, for some live updates. And once again, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. <laughs>